Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. What, what an incredible privilege and joy it is to be here. I think um, I'm beginning to fall in love with this nation. Um, this is such an incredible sense of uh, the presence of God. You know, the Bible talks about um, Israel in its heyday being a place that people wanted to come because the wisdom and the governance of God was on display. And I kind of feel some of that in this nation. That there's something about God using this nation to display his governance and wisdom and kingdom impact um, in, in, in terms of the face of the earth, recognizing a move of God. So it really is an incredible joy to be here. Uh, I spoke to my wife earlier, Katya, who is unfortunately unable to be here this time, and she uh, has been praying and sent her love. And we are um, been married for three years, and we have a little baby boy who's 10 months old called Ezekiel. And uh, I am seriously missing him right now. Uh, we got to hang out with Travis today. Um, and I was just like very gooey and tender-hearted thinking, oh, we see my boy again. Um, but they send their love and uh, just feel a part of what God's doing um, uh, with me as I come here. It's always great to be sent from a, a good home base. Um, but I, I just wanted to share just a few prophetic insights before Sean comes up for you as a body, if you're not part of this local church and you haven't found a local church yet, this is probably a good one to join. Um, so you might as well do that. Um, but if you're not part of this local church and you're from another local church, please bear with me because I feel like God wants to. I'm leaving tomorrow, so I've got to get my Pentecostal bullets on and out. Um, so I, I just feel I want to share a few prophetic insights for this family. Um, I, I felt the word prototype um, come to me. And I believe the Lord is raising this community up as a prototype for kingdom advance, kingdom influence in many spheres of society. And that's a real buzzword right now. And people love the kind of seven mountains thing, and I love it too. But I believe there is an emerging generation here that is going to um, couple the power of God with dynamic influence and birth a wineskin that comes from family. Wow. And this is not just going to be about getting into marketplace and having influence. This is going to be about a family doing the work of the father's business. And I feel like there's a prototype that God is beginning to emerge. And I feel there's an apostolic grace on this house. And I believe God is going to really uh, begin to significantly shift the way you think from being a church that gathers to being a church that is scattered across the city. Then you're going to begin to see God give you key places of influence. I believe there's going to be a significant breakthrough into some high-level universities uh, for this church. That God is going to give you a presence in some university context because He wants to make you a culture shaper and He wants to make this church a place that will mind-mold the influences of society. Um, and so you can really see yourself very differently. Sometimes we see ourselves in church simply as a, a people that come to church because we need to be pastored and looked after. And that's 100% right. It's true. But I believe there's more for you. That God has called you to be an apostolic model, an apostolic prototype of what it means for a church to have national influence. 
and international presence. And I believe there's something of the culture, something of the wineskin, something of um, the dynamic of God's presence, power, and the spirit of wisdom that God is releasing on this church that's going to take a group of uh, different people from different backgrounds, different age, ages, and, and really begin to release influence uh, in a significant way. And I felt God say to me that there are some title deeds that the Lord wants to release in terms of buildings for this church. And God is about to unlock some title deeds. I saw some blueprints that God was releasing architectural design. Because I believe you're going to have a presence that is going to be very significant and a very creative space. And I could see like um, like, uh, like a coffee shop or a cafe, a place where lots of people would gather from the city and find something of a community, something of a counterculture that they will discover in this place. And I believe it's going to be highly creative, highly influential. God's about to... Uh, take you to a whole other level in terms of your presence in the city and around this region. Um, and God is going to use buildings to help propel that. It's not that we're after buildings for building sake, it's that they become a resource for apostolic extension. And God is going to do that for you. The Bible talks about the cave of the Dunham. It talks about David's men that were at the cave of the Dunham and God uh, David takes these men who are bitter, in distress, in debt, broke, just unhappy, and he transforms them into a mighty army. And I believe there's something of a cable of the anointing on you as a people. That some of the people who have been um, disillusioned by wealth, that have been disappointed by intellect, that have been um, broken because of bad relationship, are going to find identity. And that the core value of this church is going to be set around sonship. An identity that is going to release a whole new dynamic. Now, I felt God said to that end that um, the Bible talks about famous men that joined David's group. I believe the Lord is going to add to this church some famous men. And I believe, particularly out of the media and creative industry, people who would be household names, people who have significant influence, are going to join this community because they're going to find a place of safety. And as a result, there's going to be dynamic influence in different areas. I, I believe the Lord also wants to speak. Are there teachers and educators here, people who are involved? There is going to be a strong anointing for a model of schooling and education that is going to be so countercultural, but it's going to produce some of the most intelligent people in Singapore. And I believe God's inviting you to begin to dream. About what education needs to look like from the basics right up into the significant places of university. That part of the apostolic mandate on this church is to impact the education mountain. And so you can really be expecting that God is going to begin to give you insight. Educators, teachers, people who are influencers in that world, God is going to begin to give you um, downloads and creative ideas, innovative ideas that will begin to release something in this arena, and so you need to get ready for that. Um, just one or two more, and then I'm going to get short enough. Um, I, I feel like the Lord is wanting to speak to you about your worship, that there is an inherent sound in this land that is missing from the worship scene. And God is about to release the creative sound and the redemptive sound as a people in Singapore through worship that will be internationally acclaimed. 
And I feel like there's going to be significant people who are not only going to come, but who are going to be raised up in this context to be able to pick up the sounds of heaven and to pick up, you know, the earth resonates with the sound. And you're going to begin to pick up the sound that resonates in Singapore and release that into the heavens in order to bring God's kingdom into places that, that many people would not be able to get through preaching. Yeah. All right? And I believe God is really going to unlock such a dynamic creation. It's why this building is going to need to be increased very quickly. Because part of what's going to happen is that there's going to be a dynamic of creativity. There's going to be a dynamic of studios. There's going to be a dynamic of recording facilities that is going to begin to experiment and release new songs. And this is a prototype church. It means you're the first in this nation. There's going to be a unique anointing. It's not that, you know, all churches are unique. I get that. And it's not that one's better than the other. But there is a dynamic of of shifting things, and there is a dynamic of God releasing apostolic grace to be a model that will be multiplied and replicated in other nations. Um, this church is going to be known as an apostolic hub, and I, I felt to that end, um, this is really out there, so I'm just going to throw it. I could see like, um, like a block of flats, places where people are going to be staying. And it's like God is going to give you building spaces where people can stay because there can be a number of people coming from different nations to learn and be trained and to be released from this house. And I believe there is going to be some kind of training facility that is going to reshape the way we do mission. It's going to reshape the way we release people. And I believe part of it's going to be high-level skills training that will release an ability for people to walk in the kingdom in professional arenas. So where people have gone to Bible schools, where people have gone to supernatural training schools, and that's all good, there's going to be an added dynamic that's going to cause people to understand favor and how to live in the realms of God's favor in order to use their skill for kingdom influence. And I feel like there's going to be a formalized training facility that God is going to give you in terms of an apostolic base, in terms of an apostolic resource, that will see many people come, get skilled, many people come and be upskilled by some of the best training facilitators even in the world, and it's going to be recognized even by secular institutions, and it will release a generation who understand favor and who understand their place in governing on the earth of your heart of God's kingdom. And, and so I just want to say to you, this is no small work. This is no small work. And, and the last thing I feel like God is going to do with you, God is going to give you supernatural faith for outrageous sums of money as people. I'm going to say that again so you can get happy, because really that's a very good word. God is going to give you supernatural faith for outrageous sums of money, not just to come into this church, but to be a conduit from this church. And, and so I believe there's a redefining. Um, do you know, I feel like even, and, and I haven't even been on your website, but I feel like there's a season coming of even redefining your brand, even redefining what it looks like, what the colors look like, what the shape looks like, because in this next season, God is going to sharpen who you are so that you would be a significant voice that that speaks over the loudness of the noise that has been in the city for so long. 
And so guys, you need to inside and listen. Designers, you need to get designing creative. You need to get to be creative because God is going to release favor on you to be a prototype church in the city, in this region, and for the nations. God bless you. Amen. Well, thanks again. It's awesome work. Yeah. We believe. Amen. 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 Well, we're honored this evening of Sean Bolts. Uh, I, I think it's third time with the city uh, this uh, this time around. And uh, we, we haven't had much guest speakers in the last uh, few years. And so it's either Sean or Steve Chua. So Sean's back, and I was so honored to have him on a Friday evening. So please help me put our hands together and share and, uh, I don't know, for those of you who are part of the city, like, if I were you, I would just be like, are you kidding me? Seriously, God, you're just investing that huge word, and that means that some things are about to start moving and shaking even more. And uh, I know Julian is not just by reputation, but by friendship, and he's had a deep impact on our lives, and my wife and I and some of our dear, dear friends. And his words, um, though they may sound generous and big, are true. And God wants to take us beyond what we hope for or imagine. And so I felt like uh, that was a real installment for your team. And we have to really learn how to partner with those installments. And I know I trust this leadership team, and I know you will. Um, so we're going to be back. My, my wife was going to come with me on this trip. And uh, she couldn't at the last minute. We're actually buying a property in Los Angeles right now, which is awesome. And that's a rare thing to do for people who aren't from L.A. to buy property there because it's so expensive and incredible. And so we waited for 10 years, and it's opened up, which is just a God story. But she had to be there for the close. And so I uh, came without her, so you're going to meet her this time. She's definitely my better half. She's not only better looking, but she's more you know, fun and funny and all those things. But uh, my wife and I recently, in January, we gave our church over to our best friends. And we're still on staff there. We're still um, work, working overseeing the whole church and the mandate for the entertainment church in Los Angeles. But we started our ministry. We actually had to get separate even office space because our church, um, L.A. has a space issue. I don't know if you know that. And so uh, our church is like like this. It's just, you know, we it's 7,500 square feet and there's... Even our pastors don't have offices. So we ended up being an office space with Heidi Baker, if you know who Heidi Baker is. And Heidi and her team moved out, and we occupied the whole office space. And it's really sweet because she said, we invited you here because we wanted your anointing. And I'm like, no, 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 I want your anointing. I want you. And we've been a part of uh, Iris Sister Friendship for 13 years or so. And uh, my wife and I just want to invite you to become uh, just connected to us through our Facebook page and also through BullsMinistries.com because we're doing a lot of media. As a matter of fact, I just started hosting a couple shows, but one of them I'll tell you about is on Daystar. I know you get Daystar here in Singapore, which is cool, and it's called Dreams and Mysteries. Some of you might have heard of this. It was John Paul Jackson, the late John Paul Jackson. He had a show, and uh, they were about to kill the show, and they, we had a divine appointment, and they were like, you're supposed to do this. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do a teaching show on Christian television. And then I went there and it's a whole God story and I had such a good time so I've hosted in season four which launches next month even here uh, I've hosted six of the, the eight or nine episodes for season four it's a smaller season and the next show we'll be hosting again so you can get connected to us through that too and I just love what media does and how it connects us to each other's hearts but I'm doing some controversial subjects on dreams and mysteries like the cloud of witnesses what are people who've gone on to be with Jesus doing you know and how do we how do we 
support and, and believe and recognize that they're still alive. You know, those who moved on and knew Jesus are still alive in Christ. So that kind of show is going to be super fun and super controversial. And uh, which is really, I'm not into controversy, but I like these kinds of subjects. I like thinking about eternity a lot. And especially eternity with Jesus and eternity with those we've lost. You know, it's going to be so beautiful. So uh, Dreams and Mysteries, you can also watch it online on YouTube and you can look at the YouTube channel. But I just want to give you some outlets on how to stay involved with each other. And uh, my latest project, which literally got shipped to my house while I'm here, is a children's curriculum, sorry, a children's curriculum for hearing God. And so it's for 7 to 12-year-olds. And I grew up, like Julian, I got saved at 3 or 4, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit right away. And my sister and my my um, family, we just all got wrecked by God's love. Just, I, was, I, I heard a little man would live in my heart if I'm invited in. So I walked around like this and talked to him. And my mom said, what are you doing? I said, I'm talking to Jesus. I want to make sure he can hear me. And she said, he can hear you. You're okay. Like, just talk. And, and so I almost had like a cooking moment you know, like before me. But, uh, but uh, for, for the... We mainly said the 12. That's such an identifying age for kids. That's where they build the most identity. And neurologically, there's the most neurons firing off between 9 and 12 at any time of your entire life, especially 12 itself. And I think it's interesting that Jesus emerged at 12 years old and came to the temple. It was the first time we see him as a little kid come out and do something, serving the Father. And I think that's such a key time. So we did our first curriculum for children for that age group, and it's beautifully done. I had an illustrator who did a Pixar internship and just... He works on feature films. I pulled him out of one of the feature films, and he shared time with our project. And it's kind of like uh, Pixar meets Japanimation or, or manga. And so it's a really fun little book series, full color. And then we have a workbook, and we have a study course that we did. We, I, I told the team as soon as I wrote the book, I said, we have to do more because we need to get churches and homeschools and just all you know, these kinds of groups a tool. And then they said, what kind of tool? And I told them, they're like, we, we, don't, we don't do that. I said, we're going to. So we got all kinds of really good people involved, and it took us all year. So we just are now finished with it. This, I did all the approvals for the workbook and the study guide before I got here. Why am I telling you this? Because we're, we're living in the generation of children that are some of the most powerful kids ever have lived on the face of the earth. And they're going to change everything. And so we need to partner with that. And so our ministry decided not to just go after the baby boomers or just the millennials, but actually look at these little kids who are actually some of the most empowered connected, a little bit titled. <laughs> Think they're going to change the world. They probably will. Generation. And uh, my daughter, Harper, she's three years old. And, um, and Julian prophesied over her. He doesn't know her. But he prophesied over her and said, um, she's so powerful that she'll probably lead the United Nations or something. You know, he made a joke. And he had no idea how powerful. My little girl could literally lead any group of people, including adults, and her agenda, she comes in and I'm like, there's Alpha and then there's Alpha Plus. And she's like, Alpha Plus. And so my, my wife and I are like, oh God, give us the tools. Give us the skill set to train this little girl. Because, and so an example is the other day, I, uh, right before I got here, I made a fort for her. And uh, made it out of blankets all over the living room. There's just this huge fort. And her sister got it from her nap, who's 20 months old, Harley. And so Harley gets up, and she's so excited. She sees the fort, and she runs in, and Harper pushes her down. I've never seen her push anyone down. She pushes her, and she's like, no, it's my fort. And I'm like, uh-uh, no, you did not do that to your sister. And I'm like, Harper, think about what you just did. And Harley was devastated that she wasn't going to get a show for it. So Harper goes, no, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I'll go build her a fort. 
and she grabs a pillow and a blanket and she puts the blanket on the pillow and she goes, that's Hartley's forehead. <laughs> and I said, look at your forehead, look at hers, tell me the difference of these forehead. And she's like, it's a good forehead. <laughs> so, that's my daughter. Uh, she's actually very nice to her sister. That was a one-time thing. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk to you tonight um, and just use our time wisely because I know we don't have a whole lot of time and I want to make sure to install this with you. But uh, I, I really, really love monarch butterflies. Have you guys ever seen monarch butterflies? So they're, they're beautiful butterflies that are from South America that go all the way up into North America. And they have a very distinct pattern. And I, I love them because I grew up on an Air Force base in Santa Maria, California. And for about four or five years, my dad was stationed as the, the chief engineer there. He was a colonel. And uh, there was these paths that you could walk on only on the Air Force base where the monarch butterflies would migrate through. And there would be millions, literally, that's not an exaggeration, millions on eucalyptus trees that would line these paths for about six miles. And so we as a family would take a walk down here, and they would fly all over you, and they would hit you, just beautiful kind of orange and brown colors, and they, they're just, they were named the monarch butterflies because the, I can't remember who, who named them, but it was about the royalty of, of, of what they saw when they saw this kind of migration pattern, and so I, I remember just walking through and having butterflies tickle you and like land on you and just fly through you, and you, you just couldn't walk without being hit by a hundred butterflies, you know, and it was so magical. And I mean that in a Christian, wonderful way, not uh, a satanic. <laughs> I'm like such a Disney fan that I, I call things magical, and I have like people email me afterwards and go, That's, you know, why are you talking about magic in church? You're talking about fairy tale, wondrous imagination, the kind of, you know, that we should love. And, uh, and so I, I remember just watching it. So it has been fascinating, but this year, I, I, I have a weird pocket study that I do which is neurology. I actually study neuroscience and neurology all the time. And is there a neurologist here? Are you, are you interested in neurology? And so I, if, I'm glad there's no neurologist here because I'm going to butcher it. But, uh, but you'll believe me because you haven't studied it. So I'm just kidding. But, uh, but this year, they, they, for the first time, they figured out the migration patterns of why monarch butterflies go where they go. They always knew that it had to do with the time of day in the sun, and they knew it had to do with uh, um, those two things, the time of the sun. They knew that those two things would guide them, but they didn't know one more detail, which they, they learned from studying human neurology, which is the fact that the antenna in the butterflies themselves actually have reaction to the sun, and they have neurons that go through the antenna that actually tell them where to go. In other words, they're hardwired to know their direction they're supposed to go. And I remember just reading that. They're hardwired. This is by one of the leading uh, uh, research groups for butterflies, and, and, and neurologists got involved. It was really amazing. And so I remember reading they're hardwired with their direction. And I thought of Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain. Consider the lilies of the field. Consider the birds of the air. And then consider the butterflies. If they're hardwired for the direction, how are you going to miss your direction if you follow God? I mean, we're, we're so blessed and lucky that if we... And another word for lucky is favor, that if we start to miss our direction in God, he can recreate our full destiny. If we fail, he can bring us to a place where we can succeed again. If we turn our hearts back to him. He's so beautiful that he, you know, I do know that there's things we can miss in our lifetime that are the greater opportunities. 
but I've seen God restore people to the point of greatness again to do greater things. Because it's really about the identity of who we are versus just what we'll accomplish. So we may not accomplish what we were originally setting out to accomplish, but he'll still give us, he'll, he'll accomplish all that he wants done anyways, despite us. And then he gives us an opportunity in the midst of that. And so I believe that this hardwiring where, just like monarchs are hardwired for their direction, we're hardwired for ours, it comes through intimate revelation from God's heart. And I'm going to kind of go through some themes, and again, I'm going to use a little bit of neurology here, so help me out by, don't get bored. But um, 1 Corinthians 2, which is not boring, is talks about the Holy Spirit searches the deepest places of God's mind, his depths, and then the Holy Spirit relates to the deepest parts of our mind. As a matter of fact, Paul was even saying to the Corinthians, he said, uh, you know, not not anybody in the past has known the mind of God. And it was a rebuke constantly that God would tell the Israelites, do you know my mind? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I'm thinking? And they, would, they wouldn't they would be able to say yes, of course, because they were already off track. He had to say that to, you know, as a rebuke. Well, then this weird thing happens, and Paul says, because of Christ, we have the mind of God. And he even says it even further, you have the mind of Christ. Now, have you ever been in a situation where all of a sudden your thinking got upgraded? As a Christian, you were, you know, in a situation, you're talking to somebody, and maybe they're talking about your problem, their problems, and you, you became the most wise counselor you've ever been. You're like, I should get paid for this, you know. Or maybe you're talking to somebody about um, their decisions, and you become this incredible wise person. Or maybe it's just that you get revelation when you're praying for somebody, or you're, you're given an assignment to do from somebody or from work, and you do it with an excellence that isn't just characteristic of you. And you realize, I am possessed by God. Wait a minute, this, this religion thing, this Christianity actually is a real thing where God's filling us and he downloads his thoughts and his depth and he bypasses what little we don't have and creates more in us. And the beautiful thing about the study of neurology that I've been doing is that um, uh, David Siegel is a neurologist from UCLA and he, he's not, I don't believe he's even a believer, but some of the stuff that he's come out with recently is, has been proving the way that God works with neurology. And I believe, uh, and with our spirit, because I believe neurology is a picture of how our spirit is mapped inside. There's a neural network inside of our minds. It's the most complicated network. They can't find anything that works like it besides a mind. And they try to do artificial intelligence that can only mimic up to 3% of the brain waves and the brain patterns. So we're so far from having true intelligence that's artificial because there's a processor inside of our brain that puts out so much electric magnetic energy that it fills a room. Your electric magnetic energy from even just agreeing with me right now, just one of you fills the room. We don't know what that does yet. We don't know what that output of energy does in the, in the space around us that we you can only register it through certain devices to even see it. But one of the things that Dan, uh, Daniel, or Daniel Siegel, all of a sudden my brain went away, um, came up with just about eight or nine years ago, and this is brand new, not theory, this is now science, it's accepted in the whole neurological community, is that neurons that fire together wire together, meaning that when we come up with something that's a brilliant idea or something that's true or something that registers inside of us in a real way, my neurons that I'm coming up with, my thoughts that I'm communicating to you, cause neurons that are the exact same kind to come into you. And our neural network there, the pathways inside of our brains, look the same. So I can form pathways in your brain where neurons can fire. And it's, it's the same picture as coming in the spirit. When we come up with these ideas, 
that are spiritual ideas that we, we form and we declare and we speak to each other and we come up with the same belief system and the spirit, we have the same inner map. When our brains can form the same map, as a matter of fact, they take, they've taken people from different parts of society and different same conditioning and they have similar brain registries, just like the thumbprint's different on every, or fingerprint's different on every single one of us, but there can be similarities to a small degree the brain can have massive similarities in how the neural network works. And here's an interesting fact as well, is that and this is about neurology, but it also shows you spirituality and how pretty soon we're going to have so much science behind what hinders us because we'll use the, the, the sin of pornography because it's so rampant in our generation. And you can, sometimes when you even say the word pornography, people go, ah, you know, because it's, it's just such a dark thing. It is literally a dark thing, but it actually, when you look at pornography, it darkens a part of your frontal cortex, which is where your creativity, your reasoning, your entrepreneurship, and your relation connection is. And it can dampen up to 70%, which means your neural network goes dark and the neurons can't fire in that area where they're looking for other pathways. They're getting rerouted. And so your creative center is actually substituted by a false pleasure center that numbs you or darkens you or creates disconnect between you and the world around you. And so pretty soon, there's going to be people who aren't just fighting for right and wrong, like, I better give this up for it because it's wrong. They're going to be fighting for full capacity and their neural network. They're going to say, wait, I can say no to sin because I now know what it does to me, and I love who I am without it. It's a way different choice than just going, it's, it, it feels right, but it's wrong. I don't know, you know, is this really that wrong? Well, when you understand part of you is not functioning, that you actually respect, like, and value and especially in regards to other relationships to other people, you'll start to actually go, yeah, I don't want this anymore. Spiritually, we're going to start to come to the same conclusions because just like we can now register that in the brain activity, spiritual activity gets dampened by sin as well. Like those, those spiritual neural network inside of us also gets dampened. Now, I only bring that part up because it gives you a framework for it. When God gives us his mind, He's literally wiring us to the same thought patterns that are inside of him. He's given us the depths of his understanding and connective ability for what he's originally thought over humanity. I love in Romans where it says that when you look at Jesus, you see the original intention of the Father. And we're supposed to now be a demonstration of God's original intention. How can we do that if we don't have the fellowship Jesus did with the Father? Jesus would get downloads like... I love our generation because we can understand that better than any generation. Today I opened my iPhone, and because the new one's coming out, I have to do a new update to even use it. It gets slower the longer you wait. They, like, they literally program it, so it'll get slower, so you have to stop at some point and update. And, and our spirit is like that. Our spirit gets upgraded by God's glory and by his heart and by understanding his thoughts and his mind. And prophecy, is, or revelation, isn't just about giving prophecy for people or just you know, speaking things around. It's actually to understand the mind and the intention of God on the earth right now. Revelation is first about your relationship with him, even before it's about anything else. And so I want to just impart to you tonight, uh, throughout this message, that God is rewiring you so that you can really hear from him. So you can get it down with it. Many of us have misunderstood some of that wiring because we, we felt like we were supposed to do something for God as opposed to know God. So we're looking to prophesy or get words, or we think that the prophetic is about, you know, changing the nations by opening your mouth. And before that's all true, 
the revelation is actually about knowing him and knowing what he desires on the earth and coming to such an alignment and fellowship with that that you live in a thriving mode no matter what is happening in the world around you that's negative. You just look at him and you look at his thoughts and you see this king of glory whose government never ends. It's only increasing, just like the universe is still growing from the time he said, let there be light. It's still growing right now. Scientifically, the universe is still growing. Well, we're still growing in this spirit right now. And so no matter what negative is happening in your personal life or the world around you, there's this beautiful kingdom scenario that you're a part of that's only increasing around you. And we have a choice if we want to participate today with the grace of God and get the revelation of who he is today, or if we're going to just serve him in eternity someday and we just have our fire insurance. Like we're saved enough to go to heaven, but we're not like really walking with God in revelation. And there's a probably the majority of the church right now is a very unbelieving institution, very unpracticing institution, a, a group of people that know principles, but they haven't turned the knowledge into activation. They haven't turned the knowledge into actual practical differences. I was a part of a movement at one point that we had most of the main world speakers in the charismatic Pentecostal movement and even some of the evangelical movements would come through and do conferences with us. And we had up to 50 uh, uh, conference uh, conference speakers a year, plus about a hundred other people would come a year and speak at some of our events and what we were doing. The people who hosted that, there's about five to seven thousand church members who hosted that kind of influx of just hearing the best of the best messages from around the world. We started to feel like we've been there, done that, more the T-shirt because we heard everything all the time, but it was didn't mean that it was actually practically changing our everyday life. <laughs> We lived in a conference mode or a kingdom mode where we heard things. And I don't think it's the real kingdom mode, but a kingdom mode where we heard all the best of the best that we felt connected to it. But that connection was very different than practically being involved with something. As a matter of fact, I would go to the poor and I would go to some of the most extreme places of poverty and be in the slums. And I would come back and tell my stories. And my friends and the culture around me started to carry my stories with me as if they were going to. They weren't giving money to support it. They weren't going as well. They just heard my stories, and so they started to own in my stories. Like, we're going there. We're doing this in Thailand. We're going to anti-human trafficking. Like, you've never been to one third world nation. What do you mean you're going? Well, you know, like, because you're going, and I'm connected to you. I'm like, you don't even support the missions there. Like, you're not really going. You just, you're hearing stories and getting excited, but you're not paying a price for what you're hearing. Wow. And it's very different. And when God comes upon us and we get revelation of who he is, it causes us to make decisions to move something from his mind onto the earth. That's when you know it's revelation because something changes around you. There's a setup where heaven begins to invade earth. And if that's not happening in your life, there's no condemnation in that but it means that you are empowered now to make a different choice. I was randomly watching the motivational speaker, Tony Robbins, and I know he's a little new agey, but I was watching him today, and the doctors randomly turned on the TV, and the doctors from America was on, and Dr. Oz and those guys. And, and so he was sharing, and he, he had a lady stand up in the audience, and he said, what is something that you're believing that you know you should believe in more? She said, I'm on the gerbil wheel, just a hamster wheel all the time. Just I can never make enough money. I can never, I can never you know... Uh, get ahead because my, I have twins and they're in, they're in uh, college right now and I'm paying their college and it's just life is so hard. And they said, well, the first thing is is that you have to stop believing and declaring that you're on the gerbil. Well, how often do you think that thought? She said every day. 
And he said, you have to change your way of thinking. You actually have to, no one can do that for you. You actually have to say, I have choices. I can save 10% of my income more and actually start putting it into retirement funds. I can actually, you know, if, if the government came and taxed me 10% more, if all of a sudden taxes change, I would just have to pay it. I could do that to myself. I'd still live. I would still survive. And he goes, you, you've taken all your options out because you've, you've let this truth be more powerful than this truth. And I listened to him, and I realized like in Christianity right now, we have a coaching movement, but with the Spirit of God, where Solomon is the prototype, not Tony Robbins, Solomon, <laughs> is the prototype where every king from every nation would either send somebody or come themselves and listen to how he deliberated. Because it's such a connection to the thoughts and the wisdom and the mind of knowledge of God that when he said things, there was usually only two options, but when Solomon was around, there was random options that no one else ever thought about. These complicated situations that he would bring another option and of course, one of my favorite that we all know is the two women who were fighting over the baby because he wanted to the woman woman wanted to eat it, and he says, "Well, you know, why don't you tear the baby in half and then you can have one half, you can have the other half." And the real mother says, "No, no one ever thought that would be an option. It's like the worst option ever." But he he challenged the heart to find out who the mother who really loved this child was. And I love that it was a love challenge because Solomon actually did that quite a bit. Can you imagine that your sayings, Solomon's sayings were so impactful to the whole world around him, not just Israel, that they became the sayings of the world. You know, we say things like, I hope that happens, knock on wood. You know, these stupid sayings that are around the world that almost every culture has in common. Can you imagine the sayings that you say Every birthday card that you were writing, you'd write a little quote of wisdom from Solomon. That's how it was in society. The mothers would tell their sons, well, you know, and they'd say a saying. It was Solomon saying over 2,000 sayings of Solomon were the worldwide sayings. He was the most dominant expression of wisdom, not only in his generation, but for generations to come for so long. And he was a picture of somebody who was given the wisdom of the mind of God in his generation where even the pagan queen of Sheba came and gave a portion of her wealth because she was so impressed. Kings would know when they came to bring something of value, and it says that she kept sending her wealth even after she left. She kept sending the most expensive spices to keep supporting Solomon. He did not need her wealth, obviously, but she kept giving it because we think that, you know, the way that we're going to get evangelism is going to produce the fruit and the fruit is going to create finances to more evangelism or whatever. It's actually not quite like that. In every move of God I've been a part of where I've seen a lot of money come out. We were part of the vineyard movement and there was a lot of money and power and a whole music industry was given over to the church for the first time in history and the vineyard was dominating the early Christian music scene in, in the 70s and 80s. And watching that happen, God had a, a destiny for that Jesus people movement that was several million people were about to get saved. And he used music as the conduit or as the as a place of connection for humanity. So he poured millions of dollars of resources into music and gave technologies that were new that the church had never had before. As a matter of fact, the one who led the vineyard movement was John Wimber, who was one of the original Righteous Brothers and wrote songs like Tequila. Do 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 do. He wrote that and sold all those songs when he got saved. And so he had an understanding and expertise in his field and brought that into the church. As a matter of fact, when he was about 10 years into the Vineyard Movement, the Beatles asked him to be their manager. 
because they're going to do a comeback. So you have someone like that who, who gets saved into the church and has the mind of God and starts to see what God wants to bring before the revival. Before millions of people got saved, he started to see what needed to happen in society and how the church had to reform to even become ready because the church at that time, for the most part, didn't even believe in having a band-type worship experience. The majority of churches were stuck in organ days. Can you imagine if that was your main expression? There's like two of you who might like that in the whole room. <laughs> you know, there's a few people who are like, I just don't like that rock music in church. But the majority of us are like, thank God for drums in church. <laughs> they were Satan's instrument in the 70s. And then people like John Wimmer and others who were in the music industry came in and said, no, it's not Satan's instrument. All instruments are from God. It's the people who are satanic. You know, not the instrument itself. Well, we're in another generation where we've never had a leap of technology. We live in such a special time that sometimes I just pinch myself. I'm like, we live in the most unique, spectacular time. The internet, like, I do courses all the time for third world nations on Skype. I mean, I train people around the world in transformation theology and the prophetic, and I can prophesy because I can see through my screen them. I can prophesy or speak words of encouragement or do coaching or counseling over internet. As a matter of fact, I'm only traveling 12 times next year uh, for ministry, but the majority of what we're doing is going to be through media because it's so much more effective and I don't have to leave my family. I like being with you, but not that much. <laughs> but we live in such a special time, and what God's looking for as he's raised up these special technologies, these advancements where we have true unity over the entire world, these, these wonderful technologies and inventions that are only getting more and more intense to the point where I've been in some rooms with augmented reality where you put on glasses and then your friends in Germany put on glasses and they're sitting across from you now in the same room. So they're creating cafes that look the same in their city and in your city and then you have an empty seat across from you and when you sit down and put the glasses on, they're right there but the whole world's still around you. It's not virtual reality. It's just augmented by the glasses so they're in the same room for you, eating at the table with you. I don't know how that'll work here. If you all put on argument glasses, I'll come speak to you. you know, I don't know how it'll happen. It'll be a new form of spirit travel, you know. We live in a really special time, and God chose to invest you in all the generations you could have been born in now. And we're actually the most empowered generation. We have the most tool sets on living a connected spiritual life that there ever has been. So we really don't have a lot of excuses. We have to just change our inner monologue, our inner, inner dialogue with ourselves. Because you are your own best discipler. The Holy Spirit within you will empower you, and when you decide to make a choice, it's way different than someone makes it for you. As a matter of fact, when people prophesy to me, and I happen because I train the prophetic, so people take a lot of risks on me. Whether it's other prophetic people, whether it's other apostolic type leaders, or whether it's other people I'm training, I get a lot of words from a lot of people. And I don't know if I just have the word safety over me, like I look happy and I'll never hurt your feelings or something, but I, I get a lot of words. And I actually got to the point where I don't believe, this is the longest twist I've ever had to do. It's a half an hour later, I'm still twisting. Okay. But I, I don't believe words at face value right when I get them. I have a little bit of unbelief struggle. And I've learned that when God speaks to me, I, I believe it the most when he speaks directly to me. 
It takes me a while to believe other people's words to me. As a matter of fact, my wife is a words of affirmation, love language person. So all day long, her and now my three-year-old daughter is the same way. Tell me how much they love me, how handsome I look, how wonderful I am, what they love the most about me. They just, my daughter, all the time, she looks at me, three years old, and goes, I'm into you. <laughs> she walks in the room and goes, Dad, I'm never going to let you go, and walks out. You know, I'm, I'm putting her to bed, and she's like, you're the best, Dad. I love you. I'm prophetic, but words of affirmation is the last on my love language list. So personally, like, I can give it, but receiving it, I'm like, so it's, it's not, like, for years, my team has had to ask me, how are we doing? You never tell us. We know you love us. We know we're doing a good job. We know that you're happy with us because you just show it, but you don't actually, so for years, over the last, you know, I've been in ministry for 24 years, and over the last 10 years, I've had to discipline myself. Then I got married to a woman who all she wants me to do is look in her eyes and go, you're amazing. <laughs> She gives herself her own compliments. It gets me to agree. <laughs> and for me, what I've seen even with my wife is like we actually are our own best source of encouragement. We really are. And if you if your inner dialogue isn't encouraging yourself or developing yourself, then you'll look for the world around you to fill that void. So if God's relationship, when he doesn't define you, that's where revelation comes in. He wants to speak to you that he thought of you for millions of years before you were ever created. And it's giving you an opportunity to hear those thoughts that never run dry on encouragement. Because he's the ultimate words of affirmation person. He's the ultimate of saying, I thought of you, each one of you, for an infinity amount of time before I ever placed you in your mother's womb. And I had desires and I look at you, and just like John the Baptist, when he baptized Jesus, and Jesus comes up out of the water, this is what the scripture we think it says, because this is how the church has programmed us, and I'm not saying any particular church. It's, this is my beloved son, whom I find great pleasure. And when you hear that, what that's saying is, he's done a lot for me, so I can trust him with a lot, because he's so obedient. And he's done all these incredible works. He'd done nothing, but we know him, yeah. What it really says when you study it in the original language is, this is my beloved son in whose nature I find great pleasure. Totally different. My 20-month-old right now can do nothing for me at all. My three-year-old can now give me drinks from the refrigerator. She can now, you know, I'm laying on the couch, go get the remote control for me, baby. That's glorious. She's like, she's in that mode of serving of like, I can do something for dad. He gets really happy. This is great. I'm like, I'm going to milk this for as long as I can. It's the first time she's been useful, you know. Like, I know that sounds terrible, but it's true. Like we love our children because they're us, they're ours. They belong to us. They're they're little versions of us that we look at and go, "I get you. You're my. You're the joy of my life. You're the light of my life." It's not because of what you could do for me. Because when you have children at first, you're not seeing their future of of you know that they're your retirement plan. You're just you're looking at them going. You can't do anything, but I love you so much. I'm, I'm losing all my sleep all the time, but you're amazing. Like, you're, and, and we don't have living nannies in, in L.A. Like, everybody has nannies, but they go to bed, and they leave, and they sleep all night. And if you have babies, you don't sleep all night. I don't have one friend who has a living nanny. You guys are so blessed. Those of you who can do that here. I'm like, man, I just, I want to copy you and do that. It's so smart, you know. 
But in America, it's not a thing. We have nannies a lot of times. Like not that many people actually have nannies, but we have a nanny, and 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 she's great because she might come early, but we still lost the majority of our sleep for the last three years, you know. And so, like for me, I look at these children when I have no capacity. When I turn into the most evil version of myself because I, I'm hangry and I'm tired. Yes. And I'm holding and going, you brought out the worst to me and you're still the best thing I've ever seen. Because I enjoy their nature because it came from me. It came from my wife. And I love what, the combination of us turning into these little human beings. But I'm not living in their future because I'm a new dad. I'm not like, they're not, I don't have a 15 year old to compare them to who's now maybe has, you know, done something great in their life and their little world that I like, you kind of, you know, yeah, they have trophies. I have nothing. I just have a child who needs me all the time. I'm a caregiver. I'm a nurse. I'm a terrible nurse. I'm a nurse of two children. <laughs> and I've, I've never had relationships besides my wife that I've had more pleasure in, and I've had great relationships my whole life. Now, I say that because think about the Father in heaven who looks at Jesus and is just like, that's my boy. And he's my favorite thing. He's my absolute favorite. And God's looking over you and saying, I love your nature. And if you can't believe that, then you're going to look for religion and everything else to fill the void of identity. And you won't get revelation. And the type of revelation we're talking about that God wants to bring as a mainstream thing in the church at large, you won't participate with. You'll wait for other people to get your words for you. You won't actually know how to hear from God for yourself. Because you have to start from a place of, he values me. He loves me. He can't wait to talk to me. He talks to me in riddles. I don't understand him half the time, but he talks to me. I love God's thoughts because the way he thinks. Have you ever have you ever gotten into somebody's mind and it's like you have to go to their school to understand them, especially women? <laughs> My wife was like, she said, you know what you should write? And so what? She goes, your next book is about translating God. She goes, your next book should be translating women. <laughs> and I said, that would be a huge book. Bigger than encyclopedia. And it would be blank. And it will say, just kidding, on the first page. <laughs> There's no way, like when, when you get to know somebody, there's no way to get to know them even in one year. It takes time. It takes real time. When you love someone, it takes time to develop who they are. My wife and I still find out things about each other all the time. We, we you know, there's, I, we catch each other sometimes. My, my wife will say, oh yeah, Sean's favorite thing is this. I'm like, no, it's not. Wait a minute. Why do you think that's my, and we'll, you know, we'll go back and forth. Like, wait a minute. Like, we're still getting to know each other. And I love how Revelation works because in my experience, I'm prophesying more powerfully the people I'm connected to than the people I'm not connected to. Whereas in past generations with the gift of prophecy, most people taught it, it's better to do it over people you don't know because then you, you can't use information you have. For me, it's, it's a gift that builds relationship. When I see you, the way the Father sees you at the end of the race, the end of the race, the, end of the, the race, <laughs> the race is appropriate too, with a trophy in your hand, and I treat you that way because I have revelation of who you really are. It helps me on the days when you fail that, when you fail my expectations, when I fail your expectations, but whatever. It helps me to see you in his original form of what he intended 
Because then that's how I'll hold you, I'll hold you responsible to that revelation versus holding you to a lower revelation. As a matter of fact, my parents, who came out of kind of broken backgrounds, who they, they were um, second generation or first generation Christians and they had abusive homes on both sides in different ways. And my dad's was more just shut down. My mom's was more, you know, divorced over and over with some abuse going on. And so they, when they became Christians, they, they just said in their heart that they were going to raise a Christian family that, that were empowered. Because my dad's dad, when my dad said, hey, will you help pay for college to my dad's dad? He looked at him and said, why would I ever want you to be more successful than me? And he was a mechanic. Like a really low, blue-collar job. And so my dad got drafted into the Army, but secretly went and signed up for the Air Force the same day. So when he got the draft notice, so he could tell the army he didn't want to go because the air force would pay for college, and so he went to college and you know he has double masters and he's doing great. But he, you know, he started out like, oh my gosh! I'm, that immediately when his dad said to him, with, by the time he was in the air force, just a few months later, he said, "When I have children, I'm going to pay for their higher education. It's going to be my joy to provide for them everything I couldn't do." I'm going to give that to him. Like he just made this decision in his heart. My mom was the same way where she just said, we've had no emotional stability in our family. I'm going to provide an atmosphere of emotional stability. And then when they, when they met us as little humans, you know, when they met us, they started to dream, what are they going to be like? What are they going to do when they grow up? What do they want to do? What, are they, what is their contribution to the world? So they were already living in a revelation of who that we were and already planning their life resources to make us who we were. And that's how the Father is. So for me, like, you know, with Harper and Hartley, one of the greatest joys is helping give them life experience. And one of the worst frustrations is not knowing that they're not mature enough for some life experience yet. And so, like, we take them to Disneyland one time. We, we had an anniversary slash birthday trip. It was my birthday. Then our anniversary was a couple days before my birthday. And I said, for my birthday, I'm going to take the girls to Disneyland overnight at the Grand Floridian. Or not the Grand, that's in Orlando. At the Big Bear Lodge, the Disney Lodge. We're going to go there and stay a night or two. It's expensive, but I just was like, I'm going to give the girls this. I'm not thinking they're two and a baby. You know, like, <laughs> and so we get in the car, and Harper has been excited now for two days, and we get in the car, and she's like, yes, this is good. You left my blanket at home. <laughs> and she melts down all the way, and then Hartley, for whatever reason, who never cries, cries the whole way. We had to stop. It only takes 45 minutes to get there. We had to stop. Three times, I think, to just try and manage them. It took us two and a half hours to get to the And they were, I have a video, because it's so funny. At one point, Shreen and I just start laughing, and I'm showing them on video, screaming at the top of their lungs. I'm like, you guys, we're going to Disneyland. And their capacity as little humans is this big. So we already blew their capacity by telling them we're going anyways, which we didn't realize we're, we're rookies, you know. So we get down there, and like by the end of the first day, we went to a character dinner where many... My daughter's hero is Minnie Mouse, still, to this day. And Minnie comes to the table, and they're so excited. When she leaves, they don't realize they can't call her back by screaming. And they both start crying. And they're like, why is she leaving us? We're her best friends. Like, you've told us this our whole life. Like, why is she leaving? And she leaves them, and they're like, they're devastated. And then we realize the next morning, we still have one more night there. We realized we should call the, the, the nanny. They've had a great day. That was great for them. Goodbye. We're going to be at Disneyland as adults by ourselves. And we're going to tell you one day that you were a little, like, your capacity was too little, and you couldn't be at Disneyland with us, and you're going to be mad at us. Because we're going to tell you about our anniversary trip where you ruined it. <laughs> so we sent them home with a nanny. She drove down and got them. And they, they, 
they had no, they didn't know. We just, but when we got home, they were like, Disneyland, that was so fun. I'm like, you could have had two more days. <laughs> but in that, I started, you know, as a father, I'm thinking of Harper at, you know, 12 and thinking about what high school she'll end up going to. And then at 16, like, what sports she'll be in or what activities she'll be in that we can surround her with love and support for and getting her a car at 16. And then at, you know, 18, senior to college, I'm figuring out I have to pay for college. I'm excited about that. I'm not like, I have to pay for college. I'm like, I'm going to do the work the hardest I can and save really well so she has nothing to worry about no matter what college she wants to go to. And and I don't know if that'll work, but I believe it will. And then I'm, I'm dreaming of her wedding and just being the dad at her wedding that, that can give her the wedding of her dreams. Like, thinking of those kinds of things for her. And I'm thinking of countries I want to bring her to, and her and Hartley, and I would think the same with Harley, I just brought up Harper. And think of countries that I'll bring them to and places that I've been that were special to me that I know will develop their artistic center, their creativity, their their intelligence and their and their world, you know, citizenship. And just thinking of those things, but they're three and twenty months right now. And so I can't wait to give them the world, but their capacity is so small, I have to just give them bite-sized pieces I can right now. And I think of the father how well I think of myself when when my sisters and I were old enough to connect to my parents on a mature level where they're now our friends. And it's such a weird transition when you become friends with your parents. I remember in my 20s when we became friends, I didn't need them as parents in the same way anymore. I still, was, I still call my parents for everything, actually. It's really funny. Hey, you guys, could you pray for us? We're going through this. So like, yeah, no problem. And when your parents pray for you, there's nothing like when your parents pray for you. It's like, I can have Bill Johnson pray for me. It's wonderful. But I need my dad to pray for me. I'm like, I, I trust him. You know, I've seen darkness leave when he's prayed for me. I've seen things change when he's prayed for me. Like, I, my mom, same way. So, like, I still am connected to him as parents. But as far as my actual real need for them is now as just to share life together. And my parents said we didn't know how much more... Um, or different it would be once you were adults, how much more connected we would get. We thought we would get more disconnected because you need us less, but we actually have friendship now, so it's so different when we're sharing heart-to-heart because you're our favorite people, and now we get to share in a mature way to each other. And I'm just hearing them say that. I remember just going, this is what is what it must be like for God when he matures us to the point that he can now share his kingdom with us where he has all these plans for us, but we're the little kids in the car crying, why aren't you doing this for me, God? I want it now! And, we're, and he's looking at us going, I have so much more than a day at Disneyland for you. I have so much more. I have, I have been pre-planning resources for my very being in nature since before you were even created to invest into your life. I have so many thoughts and plans for you that one eternity couldn't contain them. You have to live forever so I can keep unveiling my goodness to you forever and ever and ever. And when you get in touch with the mind of God, when you get in touch with his downloaded thoughts for you, it's not just like, no, I know what to do with my life. Robot, you know. You actually get in touch with a love nature who finds pleasure in you, and when he reveals something to you, it actually causes you to come more alive, real life. The life that's truly life, where you feel like, oh, now I'm really living. Oh, now I really, you know. And love does that, right? Like when you, if you've fallen in love, like I, when I fell in love with my wife, I've had incredible relationships my whole life with people. I've had some of the best friends you can have. My best friends are still my best friends after decades, you know. And and when I met my wife, I had no idea that the difference it would be. I knew it'd be different, but I didn't know it was going to be so different when I met her. Just the joy I find in my relationship with my wife, and vice versa. 
the level of connection that you can have when there's that person in your life. I love covenant. I love what it does. I love marriage, what it does. But I had no idea. So when I when I came in that connection, the life center this for me, I just, you know, my, my love language for her is to just um, uh, receive all her compliments. But I'm just kidding. I'm just totally kidding. My love language for her is actually, like, I'm a gift giver. That's one of my main love, love languages to give. And so she loves it because she grew up in a family that had kind of poverty on it. And so I give her stuff all the time. I do all kinds of acts of service and giving and whatever. And so she's just like, she got overwhelmed our first couple of years because I just kept saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a portion of our salary of what we make and I'm going to invest it into you. Just like I tithe or we tie together to God, I'm going to tithe into your beauty of who you are. And she was like, I don't, I don't know if that's even legal or right. Or what. And so I, I had saved money and I actually steal from us to tithe into her. Like I, I tell her, I'm not, I'm going to hide money from you, but don't ever think I'm using it inappropriately. It's all for you. If I ever hide money, don't ask because it's always going to be for you. And she's like three, or now we're four and a half years into it. She's like, I love this. She's like, all of a sudden some money's gone from the account. She's like, oh, I can't wait to see. You know, like, it's coming up. And she's just so excited because she knows that I've told her I'm taking a percentage of money that's yours, but I want to spend it on you to show you your value. And, you know, like she's become a different person because of it. I've become a different person because of it because the way we've, with these different ways that are really intriguing to each other, how we help craft each other. We make different decisions based on being together. Think about God who's saying, I'm taking all of myself to invest into you. And I'm hiding all of my stuff from those who don't know me so I can give it to you to reveal myself through you. He's so good. And some of us don't know God that way. Some of us don't know, like we're still looking for others to be a source of our revelation because we don't realize how much he wants to talk to us. Before he ever wants to talk through us, he wants to talk to us. And he wants us to so know from the fabric of our beings how pleasurable we are to him and how beautiful we are to him and how, how it's, it, it's, his, it's his love nature to tell us that all the time. You know, I love uh, uh, some of the artists that I've been exposed to who are some of the famous throughout history and Michelangelo is saying, I feel God's love when I hear the, the wind in the grass. And those kinds of poetry that you only get from somebody who's spent their entire lives being creative, you know, and, and the people who um, are in science are the same way, like Albert Einstein, who says, you know, um, you see that uh, if, you can, if you can keep your focus limited on the things that are the most important, then you'll feel the most pleasure. And he said, I've learned how to keep my focus that way because of my relationship with God. And there's times that Albert Einstein would go and he would just play the piano and he could call it a brain dump and he would just have a connection with God where everything, he said he was like at one with God in all the universe and everything else would go away. He would play the piano for like an hour. And he would just have that moment. And he would just he would feel the beauty of God. And he would he would get those what I call those snapbacks where when we come into our original form, where all of a sudden our mind and God's are one. And the brilliance that came out of Einstein, because of that connection to God that he had, what about us? And whatever we're called to, the brilliance that we can show the world, if we're gonna manifest Julian's word. And I know some of you aren't from this church, but you can still manifest the brilliance of that word as far as influencing influencers. That's our calling. When you look at end-time revival, it doesn't look like hiding in caves. End-time revival looks like Joseph and Daniel and Esther and coming to a place of influencing world leaders because we have such a love culture that we already expect that God's talking to them. 
I mean, Daniel looked at a pagan king and said, of course, dog ate a dream. Most of us would look at a pagan king and go, that's probably witchcraft. <laughs> they probably have a demon. That's why they had a dream. And Daniel was, looked at Nebuchadnezzar and was like, he was like worse than Saddam Hussein, worse than Al-Qaeda, worse than ISIS. Was so narcissistic that he said, I'm going to make a whole image of myself, and if you don't worship, I will kill you. And it's basically an ISIS move, right? And Daniel goes, of course God would still give him a dream, because God's glory fills the earth. He's constantly talking to everybody he created, and the friends of heaven are supposed to interpret what he's saying. And some of you haven't even heard God for yourselves in a real way. And you take the word, and when you learn how to apply it, you're hearing revelation. So we may know the word, but if we don't know how to apply it, where it fuels our lives, and we've actually become a new creation through it, then we're only a partial Christian, meaning we're only a baby Christian who probably doesn't have much capacity. And probably will cry in the back seat when God tries to take us on an epic journey. You know? Sometimes I take my daughter's places that they don't want to go, and then by the end they're like, yeah! Yes, let's go back there and they talk about it, you know. Harley, Harley's just starting to talk and she'll, there's certain things she wants to do like park, parking, 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 parking. I've died, I've died. You know, and we look at her and just go, this is your world, you know how to say park, you made, you made a connection to it, this is awesome. Let me take you to one of the best parks in Orange County. It's like one of the best parks in the world, I can't wait to take them. Right now, I'm just driving there in an hour and a half of traffic. Makes me say, it's not worth it because you're going to cry. <laughs> God gives us what we're available to, and we can expand our own capacity. You're in charge of your own maturity. You can develop. You can decide. First John uh, 1, or 2.20, sorry, says, you have an anointing that will teach you all things. You don't need any man to teach you. Now, this isn't about not being taught by man. This is about, you don't, even if you're on a desert island, you can still develop with God. And so you have an anointing that will teach you. And so you need to be self-responsible, not self-reliant and independence, but self-responsible to grow yourself in the midst of community. And that's what Revelation is for in the first place, that you can see the image of God and develop into that for yourself. And then you get everybody else as revelation, and that helps empower you to take your own journey as well. But if you're looking for someone else's journey to inspire yours in a way that actually creates yours, you'll never have it, because God already did that through the cross. So no one else's journey can create your journey. And revelation is given so that you can actually be empowered to create a journey with God, to create a history with Him. And so I'm going to pray for you tonight, and then we're going to do some prophetic stuff, but I'm going to pray for you for revelation to to come on you in this way. And before, it's a prophetic anointing, it's a revelatory anointing to know his mind. And so Holy Spirit, I just pray, God, even as we're here together, and, and even with Julian's word about uh, this particular church being, and I just so believe that, just a place, an influence center, God. A place that would be where he used mind molder and these kinds of things. God, I pray that, Lord, that you would influence us right now with a culture of your heart individually. We pray for 1 Corinthians 2, Holy Spirit, that you would search the deepest parts of the Father that we can have access to right now, that we're ready for right now, and relate those things to the deepest parts in us. And we pray, just as Paul declared over us, we have the mind of Christ. Would you give us your mind right now, Jesus? Even when you prayed in John 17, where you said, 
Father, I desire them to be one with us the way that we're one. Let them be one together and see us where we are. Lord, I pray that you give us your mind that we'd be one with you. Not just figuratively, but that we would start to have your thoughts, your intentions, your desires. Lord, that we would navigate the world differently because of the love thoughts we hear from you. Or we just take any responsibility for our development off of someone else. And we just take that responsibility with you. We give it to you and we take it with you. Would you develop us, Lord? Would you speak to us about everything you've been already developing? Would you allow our, our own discipleship journey to be so empowered? Take any disappointment out of us from where we weren't fathered or mothered correctly in the past or where there might have been some things that um, hindered us because of other people or other situations. I pray, Lord, that we would take that power all back and give it to you, that you're the best father. Sometimes we get fathers, too, in the natural, but many of us will never have the kind of father that you can be. So I pray, Lord, that you would just release hope and faith in a real relationship with you, Father. Amen. I can feel the Holy Spirit, and I feel...